come one, come all. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read some stuff this week. I watched a movie. This week, we are covering Promising Young Woman. Spoiler warning. If you haven't seen it, it hinges on something that we have to talk about. So We and typically yeah. like to keep our episodes where you can listen to them, get the context of the conversation without you know spoiling the nitty gritty of the plot and the fun of the movie. But today... We can't really discuss this film, why it's nominated, the themes of it, without you having seen the film or at least being willing to, to spoil it with not knowing. And then so go to see double it. down. Yeah. So go see it. To double down on that, this is also, we're going to be talking about instances of sexual violence. And so that can be a major trigger for people. So if you do not want to take part in that, now is your time to exit um, because it, it, this, this episode could get a, a, uncomfortable. That is. The prologue to, like you said, all the awards and everything that it is being given. So generally, the, the premise here is this this woman will go out to clubs every week and act drunk, incapacitated, and wait for a man to pick her up and see if that man tries to do anything unsavory and then turns the table on him uh, if it goes that direction. So really interesting uh, setup, uh, some obvious themes <laughs> right off right. of the bat yeah. that this movie, I think, has served well to hold this discussion. It's a, it really stark. So you know, yeah. this, is, this is a pretty serious film here. So I'm excited to dig into the precedent here, these revenge thrillers, uh, and, and, and kind of understand more of where this comes out. Mm -hmm. What exactly, it almost plays like a horror movie. This, I mean, it almost feels like a Blumhouse film in that way. Like there's another draft of this that is a full on horror movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> My task this week, because Evan and I were like, yes, we should do that. But we looked and it, it's not based on anything in particular. So we took a new tack with this and I was like, God, I know that there are literary precedents for this sort of thing. For revenge. sure you know, revenge thrillers, like you said, slash or horror type stuff. Where is all that? And I was pining the and pining of this for are something. so prescient yeah. right now in the, in our social zeitgeist that it's easy to see where we could go. The discussion going on here that permeates beyond a good script, a good team, a good idea. And, and it comes from somewhere. Yeah. So we're so going to pull I was on that thread. Looking and looking and pulling and there are bits and pieces here and there, but I'm like, what exactly ties this to something yeah. and literally within the last hour of my time for researching before we had to <laughs> cobble together our notes and talk about this i was like oh that's it and it's perfect and i'm going to save it for the end so you'll have to listen mm -hmm. to everything to figure out what exactly <laughs> but we're going to kind of go in a reverse chronological order with this so let's start with who made this emerald Fennell. this is her feature directorial debut though it is not by any stretch of the imagination the first thing she's done in right film, television, even writing. She is British. She's an English actress. She's also a novelist, TV and film writer, director, wow. producer, and playwright. Wow. She is most known as a period actor in British films and television, Albert Nobbs, Anna Karenina, The Danish Girl, and most recently, The Crown mm, on Netflix. And then in terms of writing, producing, television stuff, she is the showrunner for season two of that show, Killing Eve, okay, which okay. I loved. She also wrote six episodes of that as well, and that was Phoebe Waller-Bridge's, one of her works. Oh, yes. Okay. Very good. She is the first British woman to be nominated for directing for the Oscars. And Chloe Zhao, who we mentioned with our Nomadland episode, is also nominated this year, which is the first time two women in the same year nominated. Wow. 
fantastic. And you have seen her, Evan, because she is in Promising Young Woman. <laughs> she, yeah. Also, just as a note, I saw the film as well because I couldn't talk about it again without understanding. The Trying spoiler. to balance it out, you know, like, so, well, I can't, you know, there's not one direct big source material, so at least we can both have seen it. Yeah, yeah. so I saw it, but I saw her as well. She makes a cameo. She, was, she is the host of the makeup tutorial video. That oh, yes. She takes, yeah, she is the one giving that <laughs> tutorial in the film. So she directed, she directed and wrote this. It's a great cameo. Oh, thank you for telling me that because yeah. that is so funny. Yeah. So that's a part of it. Her writing process, the genesis of this. And yeah, I, I, there were several points watching the film where I turned to my wife and I go, what did that look like on the page? Yeah, <laughs> which isn't typical. It's just like there, a scene or two. There's a, one in particular where the music did all like all the work, and I went, "What did that? What did that page number look like?" Yeah. <laughs> anyway, with the pitching of it to answer your question, she did go in with a lot of mood boards and a lot of like you said, the music. Like she was like, "I know how it reads on the page, but this is how it has to feel cinematically, mm-hmm. visually." Mm-hmm. You do have to kind of suspend disbelief, like the whole thing of getting these men to show their true colors. It's like, well, if this was a real small town, wouldn't they know that was her after five times? Like, how many bars are there in this small town? Right. She has a little notebook where she does like a notch for each one. I mean, and it's by now must have thousands. uh, Right. So it's like, wouldn't wouldn't they know? So you have to- You got to be traveling all over the state. You got to be going to the next city. You got to hit up the clubs and then the next state over. Yeah. It's a a suspension of disbelief kind of pseudo reality. But anyways, as far as the concept of the whole thing, she was at a dinner party and one woman mentioned this sinister encounter that happened with a guy on the tube, on the station, on the way there. Mm. And then women around the table are telling similar experiences, keeping it with a humorous bent. And the men are staggered thinking, God, this is crazy. And it's like, these are even the milder things that have happened to them or the things that they are not exposing to the greatest degree. And that surprise of the guys at this dinner party, she thought was so interesting. The ignorance of men. Yeah, yeah. I I think that there's, you know, the the politics of the film itself, and just for the sake of its themes and the sake of the conversation it's presenting, ignorant at best is basically the best you could say for any male character in the film. And that's not like it's it's still start it's still heavier than that (laughs) because it's not enough to just be like well I don't know it's like well this is well here is why there's a piece of media that's nominated for five Oscars because you should know that that's just your reality is not everybody else's reality right right I'll, I'll post a link there's a great SNL sort of music video thing called Welcome to Hell where it's like here's all these things happening like. They put a very black comedy spin on it to be like, oh, you're just now hearing about this? Welcome to hell. Like, this is my life every day walking down the street, worrying, being catcalled. Yeah. This is a part of reality, specifically. You just ignorantly got to, you know, you know, walk by, not even given the credence to to look away. It's that you're not you're not even not even cognizant of his existence to begin with the ignorance of the of the female condition uh, is i think something that at the minimum that this is saying hey we as men uh need to be more cognizant like you said it was a great way to say it is that we're our experience is not the experience for everyone else and And culpable going around assuming that everybody has the comes from and understands what we do from our experience it's crazy 
And that's why, speaking a little bit to the production, specifically choosing male actors who are known for their good and wholesome or just neutral characters that were, you know, in the OC or in Superbad or Bo Burnham being the main, like you hope he's the good guy because he plays this in his other roles, this person who is aware and woke to these things. Oh, maybe, you know, maybe she could see faith in a man, you know, to a degree. And maybe he, maybe not all men are are like, and even he by the end is culpable to a degree. The shade guilty by association. Yes, by not, by saying, oh, well, I'm not culpable because I didn't know. And it's like, well, but. That's not an excuse when something so horrific is happening. And going back to, so that's part of her pitching this concept. And in one of the pitch sessions to a financier producer, she, you know, explaining the character saying the main character doesn't say hardly anything. And these guys keep coming on to her acting like the good guys until they have an opportunity. And in the pitch, you know, she says the main character, she sits up and she's not drunk and the producer goes, holy expletive, she's a psycho, <laughs> saying, oh, she's a psycho. And that's like, oh, that's the reaction. Like, whoa, I whoa, want. whoa, whoa. Yeah. That, and then see, that's so interesting because and then and it's brought up. It's in the film is who. Wait, hold on. Who's the who's the psycho? Because it, <laughs> right. two seconds ago you were preying on me. Well, that's and that's but the uncomfortable I'm, stuff, a, I'm yeah. crazy because I led you into this situation and I'm not drunk. But you were just you were just an active predator. But I'm but I'm crazy. People feel <laughs> it's people a beautiful feel that, contrast that uncomfortableness <laughs> because the person who's doing it knows it's wrong, but they only admit it when they get called out. That's like the most basest morality of all time is to say, well, yeah. as long as I get away with it, it's fine. But once you're called to it in the moment, snap, yeah. snapped into reality. Oh, this isn't right. Well, it was always not right. <laughs> right. Know? And most people would rather be shot in the knee than show who they really are. Is part I, of the the I thing. Say, I, she does this a co- many times throughout the film, and I'm and I'm almost like not sure if she is killing people or not. <laughs> right. Well, that's <laughs> what they're saying. It's like she. That's and that's the the genius of the twist on the premise is that it is right. more devastating than if she was a knife wielding maniac. Right. Revenge. If she had killed her. every one of these men that we've been introduced to, which would be the Blumhouse version that I keep imagining. Right, and that exists in in. <laughs> We'll get to sort of the revenge thriller stuff. But she said her inspiration, some of her inspirations, a lot of uh, literature, the Nancy Drew books, Shirley Jackson, the Bronte Mm. sisters, where we talked about Mm -hmm. there was that mad woman in the attic in the haunting of Bly Manor. Henry James was inspired by that ghostly sort of story. And I thought in terms of other literary stuff, there is a book that she's reading when the Bo Burnham character is introduced. She's at the coffee shop ignoring him. And so I looked up. What because everything is intentional in a film. You don't just pick something right. off the shelf and say, "Well, she'll read that." Yeah, read this book. And it's like, <laughs> no, no, no. The character is reading. They're they're going they're going on a journey with some material there. They're, you don't just slap any old book. Well, what's laying around? It's very very much a choice. <laughs> so the book is called "Careful How You Go." I couldn't find it in relation to what it, that that title with that author does not exist as a book. Mm. So what I found was Careful How You Go was a short film that Emerald had made in 2018. Uh. And it is a black comedy, a psychological thriller in a similar vein. And just the malevolence or the messed up things that these women do either to each other or to other people. So that is also part of the inspiration. Not only is the character reading about that, but she has taken some of what she learned in that storytelling project. That's really cool. I'm really glad you looked into that because I, I saw the title. I remembered the title, but I, and I wanted to know uh, mm-hmm. what that book was actually about. That's fascinating. 
And then the last little production thing took 23 days to shoot, which is not very long. No, that's not long at all. Emerald Fennell was seven months pregnant at the start oh of the gosh. shoot. And oh she gave birth three weeks after rap. So there was oh, a, wow. like, she was like, it gave me this sort of untoward power to be like, I am having a baby in a month. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. She is a superhero. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I bet it would give you this kind of like alter ego sense of stress, you know, like. And it's hard. It's hard. If I'm to here be working, if I'm here for 12 hours every day on location, uh, you can too. If I'm pregnant and I'm coming My up abdomen this is a child. Video in it. The- yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. So let's horrible segue. Just go to the ending <laughs> of the film. So if we're getting into the nitty gritty here, going into the third act. She has found Al, the rapist's bachelor party. And this is really where this all comes to a head. I mean, I think this is why this is why it's been nominated. And this is why it's so shocking why everybody wants to talk about this film right. is this ending. Because she dies. And <laughs> she just flat out dies. <laughs> but then she goes and has- she actually goes down kind of quick. And then the film kind of kicks into this like ultra high gear where now we're set we're with the we're with al and his buddies and the wedding is going to go down so it this the film takes a big stark left turn with about 10 15 minutes to go and it's something that you just don't get a lot you don't get something that breathtaking that completely shocking because it completely goes off the rails they go to the wedding bo burnham's character is now getting like timed messages from beyond the grave because the police are coming in because she's completely planned this i guess and that's what the conversation is is did she go in expecting to die or was she trying to kill him or did she just give up i have some problems with the climactic scene as on a personal level but well uh, let me just I, get I, to yeah the, the production side of things she originally had the ending just where this happens her body is burned and they the, get away with the it. bachelor's party people wake up and that's it and the funding entity sort of balked at that really tragic negative ending. And then there was also a script situation where she appears at the ending and kills all the guys in more of the Blumhouse Aha. classic revenge. But that was also <laughs> deemed like really unrealistic because that was kind of the precedent for the whole movie is like, what's worse than killing them? How would a woman actually inflict revenge? It would be, hey, I've shown you who you really are and- you're going to face the repercussions like, for you, that. Yeah. You're not going to get away with this. You're yeah, exactly. Living your life. Yeah. Yeah. Which was what happens with Ryan Bo Burnham's character. So both of those things did not make it. And it kind of has, to me at least, this secondary ending of like the kind of genre revenge movie. But Emerald Fennell even said, and this is more of where I tied into it, she's in this cycle of addiction on this spiral of feeling terrible, building up, letting off steam, feeling brilliant for doing these things, and then the come down horror and self-loathing. And she said these cycles go generally in one direction. And that's more of where like, oh, this person as a character, this is a twisted way of dealing or not dealing with grief. And is this a futile exercise as a way to deal with this? Because it isn't it's about her friend Nina that this happened to. It's not even her. Right. And it's so interesting that in the middle of the movie, the mom of Nina is like begging her to move on. You've got to get over this for all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, no, you know, so it's so interesting that she is driven to this point. 
like it has this horror tinge all the way through and she's not killing any of these men, but it feels like it's leading to that. And you're waiting for that to just happen. You're waiting for her to exact her revenge. So when she singles him out and it's said that she, that all the other guys must be passed out because she slipped something into the alcohol that she gave them all. And that all started to make a lot of sense to me. But it's once we get into the bedroom that I started to really have some issues with it. I, 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 the Al character is built up over the course of two hours as this ominous, faceless figure. He's a you know, rapist. He's, he's a, we've been described how it's happened. I mean, he's he is the antagonist and never stepped foot on screen. And the moment he does step foot on screen, he's nothing like what you've been thinking. He's right. you know he's athletic and strong, but he's not this overbearing, masculine. You know, he's well, that's not the, the character yeah. I'm expecting. So I'm 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 a little lost as to exactly what this character and the way that that character was played was exactly trying to say. Because I was feeling like it was undershooting its themes. I was. But feeling that was like that's. We needed, I think. I think that's hmm? the subversion of the whole thing. Is again casting all of these male actors that we think are good and saying, oh, this predator person, this person who thinks they're the good person, the person who thinks, oh, I'm not a part of the problem. That's who this is aimed towards. And so if you did have him be the six foot three hunk with pecs who is slapping people around and causing a ruckus, it's like, well, then that. Right. No, no, no. It's not about it's not about casting. I think the guy they cast is fine. It's about the way it's played, because what I'm expecting here. Their altercation, I I really felt really felt flat for me. I was, it just doesn't play out in in physical reality to me that he could subdue her with one arm tied behind his back, and that she wouldn't fight back. the The physical blocking just doesn't make any sense. Her legs are totally exposed. She could throw him into the wall, into the headboard. None of that happens. She just lays there and take it. So is she trying to die? Is is the whole thing set up to where she? is going into that bachelor party knowing she's dying. Maybe, maybe that's the conversation here. Well, Um, I think, yeah, flipping back to the Cassie character, it's like, that's maybe even (laughs) the subversion that people don't. She just goes down, man. I I think I was just so let down. She goes down in 30 seconds or less. And this this woman who's so strong to me, I mean, I've seen her put herself into this situation countless times over the course of two hours. And I felt like she just totally laid down almost. Like it it wasn't what, and it's not like she is, they didn't make a point with the filmmaking to say, oh, she is letting him do this. Right. I guess that's that's what this is from, the revenge plots. And in the positive light, it should provide agency or freedom or getting on with life. And I think that's what Emerald Fennell still keeps her tragedy to things, because even though it's not explicitly explained, like it's shown to the audience as a positive thing, these texts from beyond the grave, this is for Nina. But really, Mm -hmm. everything is about Nina, but she's not there. And it's who Cassie has based her whole identity around. And that's not healthy. Like, this closure is not attainable. This is subverting kind of this need for catharsis. But it's almost depressing in the way it's like, this is not the hope to move on from trauma. Because Al got arrested, but for your murder, not even for what he did to Nina, which was the whole point you were doing all this stuff. And for her to be this so, I mean, she's an incredibly smart character. She's an, she's yeah. a, a compelling character. I want to see what she does when she walks into situations. And I felt like it was almost a betrayal for this character to just lay, I mean, literally lay down. So let me give you a, a salve to that. That was a deleted scene. And then another piece of media that does this a little bit differently mm-hmm. to kind of tie in what this ending is all about. So there was a deleted scene showing Cassie. And again, this was a question like the book thing where I'm like, I have to look this up because I thought about it in the film and then maybe I missed it. Mm -hmm. But then I looked it up later. 
you talked about the notebook where it, she she like has these hash marks, and this is almost even a trope, a reversal of the list of like who you've had sex with, kind of the notches <laughs> right. on the bedpost. <laughs> but I noticed that she does some in red and some in blue. Yes, yes. So there I was, was a deleted that scene that that was explaining who and she had bruises on her arms after one of the incidents and documents it in red and that in, that indicates where she almost got or that that person because it, it is part of the suspension of disbelief that it's like oh she just mocks and shames a guy makes him the lowest he can be and then just walks out quietly like has that right. happened every time right as every yeah. guy, how many so situations like, is she been like able to pull this off that's what i right. was thinking is you don't know where they're taking you how do you know you're able to do this so like, that deleted scene doing? that deleted scene that explains the red and the blue and the hash marks kind of exposes oh she knows the risks and she has also been affected by those risks and so maybe her having this plan be at the end of like knowing oh i'm going into a room full of drunk guys would have that risk of danger right and so right. she has preempted and prepared but i don't know why that was cut if that yeah. to me that gives like you said it's like oh this character there's her agency right however conflicting it is to say god she has to die for this and is it even the right thing to do because what is it actually avenge and how does it work with revenge and all that stuff there was another thing that was not nominated for any golden globes it was an hbo series that just came out called i may destroy you and mm, yeah. have you heard about this I've heard the title yeah uh, yeah tell me it also speaks more to a intersectional relationship as it concerns sexual assault because the three main characters are black and one of them is gay so i may destroy you the creator michaela cole plays arabella who is this writer who is dealing with the emotional wreckage of a sexual assault tracking down for closure trying to figure it out by the end of course there's other things that happen but the finale re-engages the situation with multiple kind of fantastical scenarios, either involving violence or a romanticized version or a tragic mm. version, turning it into, in sort of a meta art being the thing, this work is what allows her to move on, is the creation of this show. <laughs> How to wow. keep living and not just existing in the face of of trauma. Whereas promising yeah. young woman, where you're talking about, was she supposed to die? She is actively resisting living. Right. Like that is all, all of her, all the people in her life are begging her to move on, like begging her to live. Right. And she is, and she is like you say, actively resistant. She is just, no, her life has effectively ended all, you know, for seven years already by the time we met her. And so maybe that is the, where you're saying, Oh, is she planning to die? Maybe that's, that's where I'm yeah. hung with the end. I'm hung up. Is she, is she, is she going into this bachelor party with the plan is to die, to fret, to, you know, get him arrested for murder. And then maybe the tape of the rape can be found out yeah. and his life will be ruined all that. Or is her plan really, I'm going to exact my revenge, but I have planned for it to go South in case, like you said, I am walking into a situation with, you know, a bunch of drunk guys who knows what could happen. Uh, am I going to just plan for things to go south in case they do? And that's where I'm left is the did she just literally sit there and let him kill her? The question of it being a satisfying revenge plot hinges on the main character receiving some sort of catharsis or agency. Right. It goes back to talking about, oh, she's in this cycle of addiction, this spiral of self-loathing and coming down right. off of it and like making this this stronger choice. So I think that like 
almost you'd want to wonder what it would be. Like I said, the original ending where her body's burned, cut to credits, and you're like, oh god, like right. It's if horrible. it really was just cut dry, that simple. There's no drama with them getting with the with Al getting arrested and the wedding being, you know, and this grand plot out. that she had, and it's just oh. This is a sobering, shocking thing. It doesn't help. It's not a right. you know active girl power. <laughs> like it's it's this weird, twisted thing. But I wonder if that if would it, if its point would have been there provoke the conversation. Intact, but, yeah. yeah, no, exactly. And I, and I wonder that too because I, 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 the ending is so interesting. It goes off in these different directions, and you get the cover up, and you get Bo Burnham because you get you know, and you get her winning the with the police officer, and you get the ha ha emoji. At the end, but I left being like, is that you wanted me to say hell yeah at the end, but I was like, I don't feel like she got a hell yeah. Right. Like she's, she is a pile of ashes. It's tragedy. Yeah. It's like, yeah, (laughs) she died. Nina died. And two women had to die for this one guy to get arrested like that. For us to say the, for us to get the point out there, if really, if it had been the original ending where Al just flat out gets away with it, they burn the body, get rid of it. Nobody ever knows she was there. It's over. It's so shocking, but at the, at you would be left with nothing, but the gut feeling that you had just been robbed. And it would, it would attest directly to, these situations that mm-hmm. the people that do go on unscathed and, and, and get to live their life after doing something like this, uh, because it is the truth. And these things do happen. And there are those there are these people that get left behind and people don't remember their names. There absolutely are. These women yeah. are real. And so if that le- had been left with an unflinching real ending, which is almost how it was spoiled for me, that's <laughs> right. almost what I imagined in my mind when it was spoiled for me before I saw it, that she dies and he gets away. It's it's interesting how production gave that that retribution in a in a backwards posthumous way yeah. and it's did did it muddle the <laughs> the, the, the thematics message, of it yeah. all or not it's really interesting and that and that's why we wanted you guys to watch this before listening to this episode because we could not really dissect this without talking about this yeah i have to now get into some of the other influences and Lord help us get to the back to the very beginning of where all this started oh, in Lord. terms of women, revenge, thrillers, all of that stuff, because she puts in other influences as well to film and literature mm-hmm. that maybe even tie into the subversion, the original ending. The parents are watching a film before she goes out on her first date. Oh, yeah. Do you know what that film was? No, 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 no. Yeah. It what is. Was it? I didn't know anything because I'm not a film buff, but there's a 1955 black and white thriller film, which was also based on a book called The Night oh. of the Hunter. Yes, yes. It is both the film that the parents watch when she's about to go on her date with Bo Burnham, and it is also the song that plays when she realizes that he's a part of the video mm-hmm. that happens. It's like an old-timey song. Both of those are from this film. It is about this corrupt minister who is turned as a serial killer, and he gets out of prison, tries to charm this widow of the person that he was in prison with to steal money from the deceased husband that she has, and he feels guilty about. And it's stylized. It's in black and white. It feels almost also like this film, because it's almost like a German expressionist film. The shadows are harsh. The town feels artificial. The house looks too small from the outside. Like (laughs) All of these stylistic choices- yeah, that really speak to it, and the the wife dies at the hands of this minister turned killer, and it's only the neighbor elderly woman who defends the children, and he ends up getting caught, and doesn't get the money. So that's oh, also wow. another tragic 
piece to it, but it has had such a lasting impression across film. It's like yeah. up there. It's like the second most influential film outside of Citizen Kane. If you're a film buff, yeah, I didn't realize absolutely. any of this, but it's great that she puts it in here because it does tie in also with the Bo Burnham character and him being this wolf in sheep's clothing kind of thing. Yeah, it all yeah, fits. Absolutely. Well, I love I love the way that it's used around the Bo Burnham character. That's really really good. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> really that's the that's how you want to use these types. Yeah, of things. with the music and the film. Yeah, the origins of kind of the revenge thriller in terms of film, and then we'll go all the way back to the beginning of literature. The <laughs> I know, God, insane. <laughs> oh God, here we go. <laughs> well, like we said, the the. Specifically, the the rape revenge films that became popular as a subgenre of exploitative films in the seventies are known for this catharsis, release of violent energy, an emotional mm. exorcism, mm-hmm. if you will. Right. The big first main one being "I Spit on Your Grave" in right. seventy eight. Thirty minutes yeah. of the runtime is this lengthy, horrific depiction. What, it, also listed as one of the worst films ever made because <laughs> because it's so exploitative. Um, yeah. But based on some truth, the director and a friend of his and their daughter found this young woman in a park in New York who had been attacked. Oh, my God. And so this was part of almost a cathartic thing for everybody upon seeing that. And I didn't and know that. I didn't life. know that, it, that, the, that the team making it had direct uh, experience with <laughs> finding a victim. Yeah. So that was also. That's, that's really amazing. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. This gave outside of the exploitative element of it to the slasher films, Psycho starting this trend in the 60s for horror thrillers right? and exploitating follow. And then we get sort of into the modern slasher stuff, Halloween inviting in the golden age, which you know a lot about, escalating the gore and nudity. Not specifically Halloween, but as these, as no, these but films through, but uh, through a prism, because Halloween is almost devoid of, of much gore, but it was through that that other filmmakers saw what was possible in that genre. Yeah. So you're, co- you're covering the, line- the lineage of it really to the T there. Um, and still- but to defend Halloween is not bloody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and still bringing in the themes of violence and sexuality, though not speaking them in any way that promising young woman does, but it's specifically like the final girl trope where this is the virgin among the sexually active teens. Right. And she's the one that gets away or the last one to get slashed. And that often is the premeditated reason for these murderers is this weird purity sexuality problem that they have. The revenge tropes Mm -hmm. gave birth to much of the, the modern classic horror iconography and i saw even as this progresses what's so interesting about promising young woman is cassie being the one to be the one to give revenge because even as it progresses in terms of oh revenge for a sexual act this is primarily a father story for a large bulk of film history Mm. Which is mm. also like, oh, let's take it away and make it the father's issue. Yeah, and brought, so like the not male even. point of view. God, so, yeah. Ingmar, <laughs> Ingmar Bergman's famous Academy Award winning 61 film, The Virgin Spring, is this girl mm. gets raped and then her family enacts justice, seeks revenge. Mm. Um, Wes Craven was inspired by this for his 72 film, The Last House on the Left. Yes, Very indeed. similar story. And the villain's name is Krug, which is the shortening of the name Freddy Krueger, who was a childhood bully of his, who then he turns into Nightmare on Elm Street. So it has a direct correlation to 
the subversion of this genre. And then similarly, two years later, Death Wish is a father who goes on this criminal avenging spree, which got a uh-huh. Bruce Willis remake and taken with Liam Neeson. It's all about, oh, my daughter right. had yep. this happen to her, but I'm going to be the one. So it really, there's been a modern renaissance in terms of women being the main characters and getting this Taking hold of their own stories. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, <laughs> two of which came out in 2017, which are used as corollaries to this. Revenge was a French thriller film, and I think I'd seen the trailers. It's this young woman who's assaulted and left for dead in the desert. But there was another one called MFA, which maybe speaks to the Cassie character's problem of not getting that catharsis, or who is she doing this for? It's this story of a grad student who kills her rapist and then attacks and kills the man who assaulted her friend like following along the chain of revenge, seeing kind of the other people. But then her friend gets implicated in the crime and didn't want this and all this other stuff and eventually commits suicide. And now she's left grappling with the the consequences of revenge and responsible, my God. And whatnot. Yeah. So that is also these modern leading up to promising young woman. This isn't coming out of a vacuum. It was so interesting too that then you you introduced the suicide aspect of that and they the promising young woman keeps it kind of close to the chest throughout the film and right. it doesn't let you know until the climax in the bedroom at the end that Nina is dead and yes she did commit suicide it's kind of dangled out there along with Al you're getting clues to it and this is this is where the screenplay is really good about not giving away the farm and just giving you enough breadcrumbs to get you to the end until you have a reveal the suicide aspect is I, I appreciated how that was treated and 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 presented in the film. Mm-hmm. And it seemed really appropriate and enough and, and and really nice to keep me on my toes about exactly where is Nina and the way it was delivered to me yeah. actually from Al was pretty impactful. And that's a lot of the traits of these revenge thrillers and rape revenge thrillers is like it does ripple out to other people. And like you said, with the mom character being like, hey, let's move on. Like, what are you, is Nina consenting to you doing all this stuff in her name and in her honor? She's not here. You know, it extends out to friends and family and other people. And and that carries over into, because I went even further back talking about revenge in mythology and earlier plays and not just, oh, here's a trend Mm -hmm. in in films. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, there's a lot as it concerns women which whether or not they're speaking to a feminist angle because of the the context of the time period, still they're they're involved even from the beginning, uh, at least in the Western world. That's what I'm speaking to here. Okay, yeah. Revenge plays extremely popular in the 16th century, and this stems from Roman tragedies. William Shakespeare was getting into the zone of this one of his earlier plays before he gets into Hamlet and Romeo and Juliet and all these other things. Mm-hmm. His early one in 1593 was called Titus Andronicus and tries to emulate the plays of Roman tragedies. So this is about Tamara, a woman, the queen of the Goths who becomes a slave to the Roman emperor and she takes revenge on Titus, who is the general who takes her because he's killed oh. her son. And there's all, like we said, how it builds to all the family relations and everybody getting involved Mm. and betraying each other. And it's one of Shakespeare's least respected plays. Some people think he didn't even write it, but it's his one of his earliest. Um, And it because it also mimics a lot of some people think Shakespeare didn't even exist. (laughs) I know, (laughs) I know, but Uh. that's I, I I only know this as a as a weird half 
dreamed effect memory in my mind because Anthony Hopkins was in the movie and it's called Titus and he's got a blue right. face. That's all I'm yeah. <laughs> like, I've never seen it. I don't know anything about it. I know it's super weird because they mix history and modern. So they've got guns, but they've also got chariots and it looks futuristic, but then it's, I know, know, I think I I thought I was the only person on the planet that were just, I I just, (laughs) while you're talking, I can just see the poster. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if that's a weird effect from you growing up in the nineties and it came out, then you're like, I have no idea, but that is like the main representation of this play. So that led me back to like Roman and Greek mythology and being like, okay, well, where are Mm -hmm. these tragedy plays from Shakespeare time coming from? from. And interestingly, talking about the mythology and revenge and femininity, the Furies are the Greek goddesses of vengeance and retribution. It's It's been hmm. a female precedent as a personification. Really? You know, I knew that, but it didn't register to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where you think, oh, why is a woman, why is this a new thing for promising young woman to say, oh, she's going to seek revenge, not her father or whatever. And it's like, oh, but what about the Furies? What about the primal, like they're before the gods of Olympus. Right. They were formed from the Titans. That's the female personification. And even talking about like curses on a guilty conscience, that was also, and I don't have the exact uh, reference for this, but the fact that like that would potentially be the only vengeance that women could enact due to social limitations. Oh, yeah. So that is also another feminine angle to things. But back to some of these plays where, where the Furies fit in and where this mythology comes in, and I promise I'll get to my where my literary point to promising <laughs> <Make> young women. <laughs> We're getting there. So, But the big one, and here's the connection, Aeschylus's play Agamemnon, which is about the Trojan War, Queen Clytemnestra, she is the original OG revenge woman, kills the man who killed her mm-hmm. daughter. The man happens to be her husband as well. Ah. Dispatches him in the bathtub with an axe, takes on the role of an avenger, as it were. Agamemnon is her husband who she kills because he had brought back this Trojan princess and Clytemnestra murders her as well. Oh, wow. And then you have the follow-up her son kills her because he's bound to avenge his father. But then from the underworld, she sends the Furies to torment her son. Uh, so it's just a whole yes. nightmare. So here's, uh-huh. yeah. So that's kind of the, the back and forth. But the person that she kills who her husband brought back, the Trojan princess, is named Cassandra. Whoa. Cassie. No way. Yes. So her story, she is the Trojan priestess of Apollo who is cursed to utter true prophecies, but the catch is nobody will ever believe her. So there are two stories for this. Apollo, the god, sought after her, lusted after her, and gave her the gift to see the future. And the two things was either that she broke her promise that she was going to be with him, or the powers were given to her as an enticement. And she said, well, I don't. this doesn't make me love you. And then he cursed her. So that's her whole thing. So she warns the Trojans about the Greeks and the Trojan horse. She warns Odysseus about his wanderings in the Odyssey. She warns about her own murder and Agamemnon's murder, but it doesn't work. And then she ends up getting murdered by the queen anyways. And Emerald Fennell was saying that's why she named her Cassie in the film is from Cassandra. She said that. Yeah, I found that. <laughs> really? Yeah. Where did she say that? It's. I'll, I'll post a link to it. It's in. It's in. That's incredible. In interviews. Yeah, but I didn't know that until. That's and it, tough. Nobody would have found. Yeah. That. Oh my god. <laughs> You're not going to find that on any other podcast. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. 
Yeah. We are the one that I mean. So it does have a direct uh, to the know, original women it has a mythological link. Yeah, absolutely. And you can absolutely. see how that ties into. Right there. You can see how that ties into like, oh, this is a subversion of the revenge plot. This is a yep. tragedy. Did she mean she knew she was going to die the from the beginning? Like, yep. it fits perfectly if you see yep. that. It maybe answers your question. Like, did she- I think it does yeah. to a, to a degree for sure? I still have problems with the physical right, blocking right, right. of it, but but yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. I, I, I think I, I, that's more of like my conversation, and and I like that about good movies. I like having a conversation, having a debate about it after it ends. What on the ride home? What am I? What am I? <laughs> yeah. What am I still trying to figure out? And that's what I'm trying to figure out with this one. Did she go there with the intent to die, or did she go there with a backup plan in case things went south? And I think you convinced me that she went there pretty much to die. But even Cassandra, she couldn't help going because Agamemnon right. took her. It's like it's so interesting knowing that. Like you said, who knows that? <laughs> Saw the whole thing coming. Yeah, yeah. Super versed in film <laughs> the, and literature like, and references. There's so many references in in Promising Young Woman that you that you know you'll pick up on watching it right. time and again and what she's speaking to. Yeah. So it's it's a bleak oh, plot man. point. It's a bleak movie, but there's also some hopefulness to it. Is it a middle ground of this genre where it's like, like you said, is it is it talking points of what is revenge? What is healing from this trauma? Yeah. What is too far? Yeah, <laughs> what yeah. is like who's in the right? At one, at some point or another, you did just like storm into like a lake house right. and like maybe we're gonna kill everyone there. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, the, I, I, I mean, what a, what a crazy, crazy, wild movie to be nominated for best picture <laughs> and all these other awards. I, I mean, I, I mean, amazing I, that we got to sit here and have this kind of conversation uh, about these types of thematics, and we're talking about it uh, for best picture. Um, it's pretty incredible. Amazing, yeah. um, and, and and we got two uh, female directors, directors yeah. nominated for the best directing. It's pretty in- incredible. So uh, I go back and forth. There's parts of it that I'm like, absolutely should be not, and then there's parts of it I'm like, I don't know about that. I, does it deserve? You know, and and I love that. I love that in in you know the cinema community being able to debate those things. But this is such this is such a, a hot topic right now. Looking at the list of of nominations, seeing that in the middle of it, and going what? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, and so we can't. I mean, if you haven't, I can't imagine that you've listened to this whole episode and you haven't <laughs> seen the film yet. But if you haven't, go watch the film. It's really it's it's really worth seeing. It's really worth getting in on this conversation and and worth seeing what it dredges up in you because mm-hmm. we can pick apart you know stylistic just decisions blocking that kind of thing but the thematics here are what it's really about that's why it's nominated that's why it's so important it maybe is a bit exploitative but that's i mean we've talked about it with shaft but it's like isn't that the point men have had have had exploitative movies like this since movies have existed so you know we can deal we can we can take i can take a i can take a slice of that sure put it on the plate yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, this was great. This was fantastic. Man, I love that. Cassandra. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, thank you guys for listening. This was fantastic. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Taylor. Yeah. Reach out to us at AlliteratePod on Instagram. Let us know what you're reading. Let us know what you're watching. You never know when we'll do something that is your absolute favorite thing in the world. So talk at us and we will catch you next week.